0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for discussion about something that we all have experienced to some degree, trauma. The most important thing about trauma is our emotional reaction uh, to the event that's happened, whether it was an accident or rape or some natural disaster. People react in all kinds of different ways to events. Some are in shock, others are in denial. Those are natural reactions. But in the long run, some people can experience what's called flashbacks or unpredictable emotions or even physical symptoms. And these are also normal. But when people have difficulty moving on with their lives, it's probably best to seek help. Today we're gonna learn from an expert, Dr. Robin Walser, who's worked for many years with ACT and trauma. She is the founder of the TL Consultation Services. Uh, at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Palo Alto, California. Robin is also the author of several ACT books, but one which you might want to take a look at is uh, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for the Treatment of Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and Trauma-Related Problems. You can read more about Robin and her books on her website by clicking on her name on this week's program of webtalkradio.net. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell me, Robin, how did you get interested in trauma? Um, I started working in trauma when uh, I was...
2: Just doing, just beginning my graduate school years. Uh, I had had a long-standing interest in it and its impact. My family um, had some traumatic experiences, and so uh, I well knew um, how trauma could affect people. At least I knew personally. And when I went on to graduate school, I decided to start looking at uh, the impact of trauma and studying post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: Okay. So when you say, um, people in your family had experienced trauma, how was that? How was that for you? Uh, it was very difficult. Uh, you, I witnessed
2: people being harmed, uh, and, um, was on occasion harmed myself. And, uh, I saw how it impacted the family in the sense of um, it having sort of deep emotional wounding in some way. Uh, it created a sense of unnecessary fear and shame and uh, created lots of anxiety for people in the home. And so uh, it was, you could see that it was almost like taking a the childhood and removing child out of it. You had to become uh, an adult more rapidly than you ever thought. And uh, you experience things, I think, that young children shouldn't experience. And uh, so it was very, very difficult. And um, if I could, I wanted to be able to help people to uh, recover from uh, traumatic experiences that had lasting lasting impact. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so Robin, yeah, D- define for us and our listeners what 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 is what is meant by trauma. Well, so in
2: terms of uh, thinking about having a mental health response or something where you're responding psychologically and emotionally to a trauma, you want to think of things that feel life-threatening. So you either your own life has been threatened or somebody else's life has been threatened and you've witnessed that. And you've had an intense reaction or response to that where you felt deeply frightened by what was going on or unable to do something about it, you felt uh, helpless in response to what was happening. And so, uh, as you mentioned, this could be everything from being in a vehicle accident where you're completely out of control and it's happened so quickly that there's no one who can do anything about it, all the way to um, rape, uh, where you may feel that your life is in danger if you don't do as you're told. or And it could very well be, by the way, uh, out to war and the atrocities and things that happen during wartime. So there's a number of ways in which people can experience uh, trauma and includes threat to the self in, in some way, shape or form.
1: Okay. But Robin... Could is that relative? So that I'm thinking, I was recently in Sierra Leone and uh, uh, worked with women who'd experienced wartime uh, trauma, uh, and and I remember that before we went there, they told us, um, "Don't come here and traumatize our people even more," and and they meant that the whole country was in trauma, and and sometimes I wonder so. When we define trauma, is that relative to um, different cultures, different or, or what I'm asking, for example, in, in Sweden, for example, it's forbidden to hit children, and, and so the children who are hit in Sweden are often traumatized, but in cultures where children are regularly uh, physically hit, it's not a trauma in the same way. Is it, that's what I'm wondering is, is trauma relative? Well,
2: there are certainly aspects of it that are. Um, and some of it depends on the nature of it. Is it ongoing? Is it um, designed to, in circumstances where children are being hit, to have ongoing power and control and dominance? And um, does the child uh, have a sense of fear and anxiety in response? to um, these kinds of threats. You know, some, some people might uh, hit their children and uh, maybe a smack on the bottom end or something like that, and uh, you wouldn't define that as a trauma in the way that we're talking about it here, because uh, there's no threat to life in that process. And there's a whole separate issue about what it means to hit children, Mm-hmm. um uh, but it probably would not define uh, some forms of hitting as traumatic uh cuz uh, you you want to have that life threat piece mm-hmm. in there or it needs to be sort of an ongoing um long term inner uh if there's no life threat sort of this long term dominance and uh holding the position in a person of no power mhm
1: I guess my question still is is could that be relative in the way that maybe something one person could perceive a small event as threatening whereas um another person might not that it absolutely
2: it is it is can be subjective so um you might experience a car accident and come out of it thinking, um, I'm so grateful that my life. I mean, I'm I'm injured. Let's say you're injured. I'm so grateful that my life is uh, still here. That I haven't been um, seriously damaged in some way. I'm still alive, and you go on to prosper as a human being. And then, exact same car accident, same injuries. Another person may feel as if it was one of the most terrifying events they've ever had and be afraid to get in a car after that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
1: this is the complexity of yeah. the reaction. So uh, if we continue, uh, how we, you wrote about post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. How common is that?
2: Uh, it's... Um, Not as common as you might think, especially given the number of situations in which people experience traumatic events. So, for instance, um, in the United States, about 60% of men and about 50% of women will at some time during their lifetime experience what we are officially calling a traumatic event, where their integrity or somebody else's, they witness somebody else's integrity of their life being Um, threatened so that's a pretty high rate that's about half the population and but only of those who um, experience that only about seven to ten percent of them get a diagnosis of PTSD it's still many many people uh but um uh that, that's the the rates aren't super high, you know, they're not like 30 percent or something like that. And with um, veterans of war, the rates can be higher. Uh, the rates can be range from 13 percent to maybe 30 percent of the population, especially among prisoners of war who uh, encountered a lot of threat and bodily harm while they were in prison mm-hmm. during wartime. And so you're correct, it can it can have a full range, and it sometimes depends on the length of time of the trauma and the number of traumas that you've experienced.
1: Yeah. Okay. So what, what type of symptoms is it you see with PTSD? Well, there's three main uh,
2: categories of symptoms, and um, you have to have a number of different symptoms under, in these categories, but I'll just describe uh, each one very shortly. So there's re-experiencing symptoms, which are expen- ex- um, symptoms where you either you're re-encountering the event in some way. So you're having intrusive thoughts or memories about the event. You're having a flashback, which you described earlier, although those are very rare uh flashbacks um uh, are it are happen when the individual is acting in a way as if the trauma's happening again they've really lost touch with reality mm-hmm. but it is um uh, more routine for people to experience real intense memories of the trauma mm-hmm. um there's also avoidance, so they avoid people places, things that remind them of the trauma, mm-hmm. and then hyper arousal, which uh has to do with being hyper alert to your environment, so you're checking the environment all the time uh you feel anxious and kind of on edge uh you you're just hyper aroused um for extended periods of time. So those
1: are the three main types of uh, symptoms that people can experience. Okay, so flashbacks are not so common, but, uh, but re-experiencing and being hi- hyper-aroused is more common. About,
2: yep. And avoidance is probably one of the most common symptoms. So all th- the two that you've talked about certainly are part of the diagnosis. And then uh, avoidance is, is probably... You could almost define PTSD as an avoidance disorder, is that people have these experiences and then they want to avoid anything that might get them back into a similar experience. Problem is, is that they start avoiding more and more things as more and more things become associated with thinking about, remembering, encountering the trauma, and so uh, they begin to avoid uh, things that
1: don't need to be avoided. Okay, and this brings us to my next question about um, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is this program is about. And uh, just to remind the listeners, um, we have the three components in ACT, accept, choose, and take action. And so, Robin, how are you, I know you are a, a very talented ACT therapist. Um, I would say you're a therapist with a big T. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, how would an act? What is the ACT approach to to trauma? Well,
2: I think uh, ACT fits nicely uh, as um, since PTSD can be conceptualized as an avoidance disorder, and you're avoiding thoughts, feelings, sensations, uh, you're avoiding people and places. Um, so there's a lot of attempts by people who are experiencing PTSD to not be inside their own skin. And, uh, and it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're constantly being reminded of a horrible event, you want to find ways to get away from it. Uh, And in our world of cultural understanding in many places you should be able to forget about it move on and those kinds of things but what we learn is from uh, studying ptsd is that that's really not what happens is that people really struggle with trying to escape their responses to the event and since um act nicely look approaches in a very compassionate and thoughtful manner how to reduce avoidance so that people can be free to live their life it matches very nicely with ptsd treatment and for the, cuz the whole point in act is to help people be present to what's going on inside their skin so that they can be inside their skin and create the kind of life that they'd like to live cuz one of the problems with moving away from Yourself and the experiences that you have is that quite often it also limits your life. And so you see folks who have PTSD withdrawing from people, pulling out of their um, things that are important to them, like relationships, work, play and um, act helps them find a place where they can show up to themselves and be present to their emotional experience
1: and get back into life, love, work, play. Okay, so if I understand you right, Robin, um, uh, when when people start avoiding, for example, say, if, uh, in a situation of, say, a rape situation, um, and so by trying to avoid that particular trauma, I start avoiding um, maybe all intimate relationships because it it reminds it it reminds me of that situation, and so I actually shut down to the meaningfulness of close relationships i lose i the cost is very high to me personally when i try when I have to avoid anything that 's similar is that that's that 's right on target uh that 's a good example of what happens.
2: Um, let's say someone is raped male or female, and then whenever they are intimate with their partner, they're reminded of the rape they maybe feel ashamed, they maybe feel out of control or they feel anxious, and so they avoid the intimacy and Then what happens is that it starts costing them the relationship that they're in, and so
1: you you've hit you've described it very well in your example. Okay, so would you like to do a role play with me about, uh, and where our listeners could see you as a therapist? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. Okay, so um, for example, I maybe I could play that example of um, being a, a rape victim. Um, that sounds great. Okay, so you decide uh, where we are in therapy. I I could say that I'm I'm wanting an intimate relationship but I am avoiding. Maybe we could start there. Okay. Uh, So I'll just have you
2: maybe play uh, an amalgam of the different clients that you've experienced in the past who've had these situations. And um, I'll just uh, launch in by um, maybe asking you a few questions about what you're wanting. Okay. Uh, So, Joanne, what I hear you saying is that you would really like to have an intimate relationship with your partner, but what happens is, is that you get scared, you get um, overcome by thoughts. Tell me what happens whenever you begin to approach intimacy with your partner.
1: Well, I, I know that um, he has expectations of intimacy, and so that's part of it that I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to live up to those expectations because I get so frozen and um, and I don't feel any any uh, desire at all, even though i I, I would like to I know that, that I know that that probably is there, and I would like to have that for myself as well, but um I just get frozen.
2: Okay, so there's a couple of things that you've said that I want to check in with you about and I want to hear it from you. And so even though I might pose it to you, I want you to let me know if I've got it right or not. And that's that you want to have intimacy with your partner. You'd like to feel desire and be connected to him. Have I have I got that correct? Yes, yes, I would. I would. But then what happens is is that the desire isn't there and be, and as a result of what you experienced in the past you feel frozen you feel froze uh when he, when you start thinking about having intimacy with him
1: yeah and then i also get scared that he'll leave me because if if i don't if this doesn't work um yeah that i will lose him
2: yeah yeah which it sounds like the relationship is very important to you Mm-hmm. And that um if you could pick any way that you wanted to be in this relationship and you could have the world like it belongs to you, what would you what would you have in this relationship
1: well i I would love to and I think I need to be physically close i I would okay. like to i think that would um, I'm I I work hard. I'm quite stressed. I think it would be a wonderful resource to to have that physical closeness and relax. And, and, but um, it's just it, it just feels just so charged. The whole thing. So it I don't know what happens that at a distance like sure. I, I can feel like I want to, but as soon as I get closer, I just freeze. Sure.
2: So we'll come back and work on how you can move forward and get closer. I guess the, I want to check in and sounds like in the relationship, you want to have physical intimacy. You want to sustain the relationship. You want to keep it. And it sounds to me like you, you're saying that you love him. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. Okay. And there's so there's a, Peace here about being loving in the relationship, but I
1: I want to be sure that that fits for you. I do, I, I do, but and I'm also scared that I'm not, you know, I I he I won't be good enough because, um, I'm sure he wants yeah. wants you know sex and, um, I just haven't been able to, right, do that.
2: Well, so I'm gonna pose. Of a really big question here now that we've got this defined a little bit more and I want to put at the top of what you're working towards um, this notion of having a loving and intimate relationship with your partner like that might be like the number one thing that you're headed towards in coming here to see me and doing this work that you're doing. We can make other things at the top, but for right now, let's put that at the top. And I'm going to ask this question. Would you be willing to feel scared, anxious, and have thoughts that you're not going to be good enough? And work on intimacy with your husband. And I mean the actual physical process of intimacy without having to feel something different first, if it means you get to have that top thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm not asking you to get rid of feel or, or trying to get rid of being frozen, which kind of feels like you get anxious or something happens and you get worried. And I'm not asking you to force desire. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to notice what you feel right in that moment and take intimate action. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Move your body behaviorally in ways that are about being intimate with your husband.
1: Yeah, I've never tried that before. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, because part of what the world tells you is get better first and then live your life. Yeah. And I'm sort of doing it the other way because you could be waiting for a really long time to not feel anxious or to not be fro- feel frozen or have thoughts. You know, do you, you see what I'm saying? Like It yeah. feels like you could be waiting for a long time for that. And then you have even more struggle. And so, you know, in our efforts to decrease the suffering around that, sometimes, and the choice is yours, it's about taking the valued action with the emotions that you'd rather see not be there Mm -hmm.
1: um,
2: versus trying to get rid of those first and then taking the action.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right because I I actually do feel desire um, um, when I'm not in the in the actual situation, so I think i I could feel that it feels like I shut those down somehow it, like everything shuts down, so I think that i maybe I could get that back if I wasn't so shut down
2: I could, well and it, so it might seem to yourself like what I got to do is not be shut down in order to take this action mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to reverse that, maybe taking action will Help you in not shutting down. Okay. Okay. You see where I'm headed there? Yeah.
1: So it's just the reverse. Okay. <laughs> okay. That, that's good, Robin. So, what would you, uh, what would you say you did there when you think about accept, choose, and take action? What was it you did here with me?
2: Well, clearly towards the end there, we were working on. Um, action linked to values mm-hmm. and so we we got we were starting to open up committed action the kinds of things that she could do mm-hmm. um and what and sort of the purpose of doing them mm-hmm. like the why the whyness of doing them that has to do with i want to have i want to create loving intimacy with my partner
1: mm-hmm.
0: so
2: that's the committed action and values piece and then uh We just started to tap into this, which was about, would you be willing to feel these things Mm -hmm. and uh, if it meant you could have this thing that you want, this relationship that you want. And of course, I would want to do a lot of work around creating that place where willingness is possible Mm -hmm. and doing metaphors and exercises to help her feel, a sense of herself that's larger than her emotional experience, Mm -hmm. larger Mm -hmm. than her trauma or her memories, that she could choose from that place to live her values rather than to let her fears live her.
1: Yeah. You know, you can hear really, Robin, that uh, this is probably what makes you such a great therapist, that you have this compassion, this sensitivity to what actually... Uh, she wants rather than what's expected of her, or, um, but but you really tune into um, what exactly she wants, and
2: well, that would be number one on my number one on my list.
1: Mm-hmm. I could hear that. I think, I think that's a really <laughs> nice place to start, Robin. Uh, we're we're getting towards the end of the program. I wonder if you just had, do you have as any example of how you have worked uh, with a client and how it went for them. You have a few minutes you could tell us about
2: sure sure um, I've worked with a couple of clients um, well a couple of clients came to mind is what I mean to say when when you asked that question and um, part of what I helped each of them do these two clients that I'm thinking of was to accept their experience that they're trying to be rid of mm-hmm. so for instance I worked with a um, manager of a bank who was held hostage during a bank robbery and a gun was placed to the back of her neck while she was laying on the floor and she thought for sure that um, that this was it, that she that the bank robber was going to kill her. And of course you can see how that might create a lot of distress. The bank robbers left, uh, uh, they got away And she initially was very calm, but then started having lots of fears and worries and kept actually feeling, uh, having the sensation of a gun at the back of her neck. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And it was distracting her a tremendous amount and interfering with her ability to do her work and that kind of thing. And so our work was about willingness to feel and to be present to that sensation without any need to make it come, go, or be different while still engaging in the things that mattered mattered to her, the work, things that mattered to her. And she um, worked on that uh, very diligently, and she could still feel the sensation at the back of her neck, but it didn't have as much control over her life after we worked on just simply being present to it and noticing it for what it what it is. And uh, do I have time to say the second one? So uh, I'll just leave you with that one then, as an example of how we might
1: work together. And, uh, that sounds good, Robin. I I wonder, um, if we're, some of our radio listeners might be, have experienced a trauma themselves or have family members that, um, have, what, what kind of advice could you give them that would help them to take them from hurt to hope? I think the, the, probably the first thing that I can say is that having
2: a wide range of responses to trauma, including everything from fear to sadness to even a sense of relief that you were, that it didn't happen to you if, you if you witnessed it happening to somebody else, that there's a wide variety of ways that people respond to traumatic events and that many, many of those are normal responses, and that most people recover Mm. and go on to live their lives in ways that are productive and healthy. And uh, for those few who don't recover, for those few who continue to struggle, then there are a number of ways in which people can uh, get support and seek services. Um, There is a National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. They have a website. It's it's www.va. No, I'm sorry. www.ptsd.va.gov, uh, where you can learn all kinds of things about post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, if you're a family member, I would gently encourage people to um, seek counseling although it's very hard and you don't want the family member to be in the position of getting in an oppositional position with the person who may be experiencing trauma, but rather to be supportive and um, to learn about PTSD themselves so that they can understand the symptoms and how the symptoms might be impacting the person that they're living with. But seeking support and help, I think, is one of the best things people can do. There are very good treatments for PTSD and treatments that are very effective and can help people return to normal functioning. That sounds good, Robin. So thank you for being with us today. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. I was glad to be here and
1: to talk about trauma and act. That sounds good. So today's program has been about trauma. That is our emotional reactions to events that can get in our way from living the life we want to live. You've been listening to Dr. Robin Walser from the VA hospital in Palo Alto. Uh, Robin is the author of Post Traumatic Stress Disorder and Trauma-Related Problems. And you can read more about Robin and her books Uh by clicking her name on the website of today's program.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.